Section 20 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Segur, The Potter Noster. We read in the Holy Gospel that our Lord was praying one day, and that when his prayer was ended, his apostles approached him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus answered them, When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Then he added, to increase our confidence, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and shall say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? And he should answer and say, Trouble me not. Yet if he should continue knocking, I say to you, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say to you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. And which of you, if he ask his father bread, will he give him a stone? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father from heaven give the good spirit to them that ask him? We must therefore pray with great confidence in the goodness of God, and we are sure to pray as he would have us when we speak the words which he himself has taught us. But to do this in the best way possible, we ought thoroughly to understand the whole of this beautiful prayer, since every word contains a lesson that is divine. The Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, is composed of three parts. First, a little preface. Second, three petitions which relate directly to God. Third, four petitions which relate directly to our own needs and those of our neighbor. The preface consists of these words, Our Father who art in heaven. The three petitions which relate directly to God are these. First, hallowed be thy name. Second, thy kingdom come. Third, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The four petitions which relate directly to our needs and those of our neighbor are, first, give us this day our daily bread. Second, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. Third, lead us not into temptation. Fourth, deliver us from evil. Amen means, so be it, or, may God grant me what I ask. What could be more sweet or grand than this sacred prayer? Are not the first words sufficient to win the hearts of men? Pater Noster, our Father. Christians, it is a Father to whom we speak, a merciful Father who loves us, who bends down from the heights of his eternal glory to lift us by love up to him. It is a Father, not a master, not a judge. He asks only filial confidence, goodwill, and sincere love. How sweet it is to kneel at the feet of such a God. We do not only say, my Father, but our Father. For we are all brothers, members of one family, which is the Church of Jesus Christ. The Father of the family is our Father in heaven. 
Our mother is the Blessed Virgin Mary, who became the spouse of the Holy Ghost by mystery of the Incarnation. Our brethren in heaven are the saints who have lived before us and are now gathered into their father's home. And we, who are by baptism children of God, children of Mary, brethren of Jesus Christ, and brethren of the saints and martyrs, form here on earth one great family united to that family in heaven. We have a visible Father, the vicar of our invisible, omnipotent Father above, the head of the church, whom we call for this reason, our Holy Father the Pope. Our mother is the church, and all Christians are our brethren, and we all meet together in the sacred banquet of the Eucharist, being all fed by the same mysterious food, and thence deriving the strength we need to travel on through the journey of life until we go home to our Father in heaven. See all that is comprehended in the first words of the Potter Noster. And where does our Father live? In heaven. Therefore our dwelling place and our true country are not here on earth. It is not to the things of earth that we must give the heart. Our dwelling place, our hopes, our treasures must all be in heaven, in that blessed eternity which shall succeed the fleeting years of life. How powerful a motive to enable us to resist the temptations by which we are surrounded. Let us turn from that which is passing to that which shall forever endure. Let us love our Father and think constantly of the happiness he has prepared for us above. Does not this little preface contain many subjects for meditation? In the second part of this prayer, our Lord teaches to ask his Father and our Father to spread over the whole earth the glory of his name. Sanctificator nomen tuum, hallowed be thy name. Yes, known, reverenced, loved, glorified, celebrated, praised, first by ourselves, then by all our brethren, by the good and holy who honor it so perfectly, by sinners who blaspheme and reject and forget it. By these words we ask the propagation of the Christian faith throughout the universe, the extinction of idolatry, the conversion of heretics, infidels, and blasphemers. We ask that God will raise up holy priests and learned doctors of the faith, who will teach us, by writing and preaching, to know and serve our Heavenly Father better. We solemnly protest against the terrible habit of blaspheming the sacred name of God, and we all strive in union to make compensation by our homage for the daring attacks of the impious, and thus, as if we would deafen and silence the voice of blasphemy, that it might never mount upwards to his ears, we cry with one heart and with one voice, Sanctificator nomen tuum. Father, thy name be blessed, thy holy name be praised, adored, loved, glorified in heaven. Thy kingdom come. This is the second petition of the potter. And here we ask of God that the reign of his divine grace may be established and strengthened within us, that mortal sin may never stain our conscience, that we may never commit a willful venial sin, that Jesus, the king of our souls, may govern us without any opposition and find us wholly submissive to his sacred rule. This petition is also a desire for the extension of the Catholic Church over the whole earth, for the Church is the kingdom of God and the establishment of his divine reign in the midst of his own creation. And thus we also ask and desire the coming of our Lord, since the kingdom of God can only be completely established in this world by the second advent of our Redeemer, 
who upon that day will quell and annihilate forever the rebellion of Satan and the triumphs of sin. And lastly, we thus renew day by day our desire of eternal happiness, and sigh for heaven, where our dear Lord has prepared for us a place, that we may reign eternally with him. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the third petition of the potter. There is nothing so truly good, so truly necessary, in this world, as to know and accomplish the holy will of God. Outside of the divine will, all is vanity and often sin. Good does, in a manner, cease to be good when done without regard to the will of God. Take an example. A man may say, I am a workman and the father of a family. It is the will of God that I should labor honestly to gain a living for myself, my wife, and my children. If, instead of working, I pass my days, like sisters of charity, in praying, in nursing the sick, etc., I should neglect my duty and should do wrong. And yet, what can be better in itself than prayer or nursing the sick? But for myself, under the circumstances in which divine providence has placed me, such works are not for me, and though they are more perfect in themselves than manual labor, if I prayed instead of working, I should not be doing the will of God, and therefore for me, that which is good would cease to be good. The one thing necessary is to know and fulfill with love the holy will of God. In this, and for each one of us, all duty, all virtue, and all perfection consists. If each would do the will of God in that position in which his merciful providence has placed them, peace, happiness, and order would have a universal reign. God wills only that which is good. He forbids only that which is evil. All that is good and useful to man, God wills. All that is harmful to him, God forbids. Thus the will of God is our happiness, and happiness is the inevitable accomplishment of his will. As soon as we disregard it, misfortune comes upon us. For instance, a man who is the head of a house and the father of a family is, perhaps, an utterly miserable and disappointed man. And why is this? It is because his children despise his authority, or because his wife has forgotten her marriage vows, or because, through the dishonesty of others, he has lost his little fortune. But would not a remedy for all these evils, and for the grief which they occasion, have been found in the accomplishment of the will of God? God willed that the children should be obedient, respectful, and attentive to the wishes of their father. God willed that the wife should be faithful, and patient, and true. God willed that the friends should be loyal and honorable, regarding the rights of others. They have not followed the will of God, and sin and sorrow are the inevitable consequences of this rebellion. And therefore, when we pray, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It is as if we said, O oh my God, I desire that I and all for whom I pray should be good and happy. I desire that all men should do good and avoid evil, that each one should perfectly fulfill his duty, first of all, his duty as a Christian, and then his duty as a faithful subject, as a father, husband, son, and friend, his duty as a pure, upright, and honorable man. Could anything be better than this? It is to say, in other words, I desire that the whole earth may be the abode of peace and happiness, and that when this earthly probation is ended, 
I and all for whom I pray may receive in heaven the imperishable rewards of virtue. Only Jesus our Lord could have expressed so much in such few and simple words. And then if you suffer, if you are poor, if you are afflicted, and truly we do not want for troubles in this land of exile, what perfect peace this thought will give you, it is the will of God. Yes, he wills it, not to cause you suffering, he is too pitiful for that, but to prove your fidelity, to enable you to merit a greater happiness in heaven, to purify you more completely from those stains of sin, which, but for this expiation, would retain you long in the terrible flames of purgatory. This is why God sends you suffering. Receive it with resignation, if not with joy and let it always lead us to lift our hearts to our merciful Father, and pray that he will take us to heaven, after a life which he has purposely embittered to us by the trials he sends us as we journey on. And in every grief, let us constantly say to him, O oh my good God, my heavenly Father, may thy will be done in me, may I never murmur against the accomplishment of thy holy will. May we well treasure these words of the Our Father. Happy he who can understand them, and still happier he who takes them as the only rule of his life and his desires. We have now only to speak of the four last petitions, which relate to our spiritual and temporal needs. First, give us this day our daily bread. Our Lord thus enjoins us to ask from God all the daily necessaries of life, he desires that we should remember that God, in his divine providence, watches over us and never forgets us. It is our daily bread, for which he wishes us to ask, or only that which we truly require, so that we may be able to say with St. Paul, having food and wherewith to be covered, with these we are content. Not desiring that which is superfluous, it is like the manna of the Hebrews in the desert, Every morning it fell in great quantities around their camps, and every one collected enough for the day. But those who took more would find it spoiled and full of worms. We should live on from day to day without undue anxiety about that future which does not belong to us. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. And every day we shall receive the grace we need to bear the cross the day shall bring, but not grace for the day that shall follow then we must ask again from God. Let us therefore limit our desires to our present necessities. Give us this day our daily bread. Second, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. We sin every day, and every day we must ask pardon for our sins. God is so good, and his mercy is an inexhaustible abyss. Whatever our sins may be, however numerous, however grievous, we must never despair like Judas. And in this petition, we may see a wonderful means of reconciliation, which divine mercy presents to all without distinction. For here the eternal judge, Jesus Christ himself, declares to us that if we pardon those who have sinned against us, God our Father will surely pardon us. Who then can despair of forgiveness? Pardon me, O my God, we may pray. For I pardon all who have done me wrong. I know that thou hast promised, and I rest upon thy own infallible word. And thus, for all true Christians, evil is changed into good. If anyone injures us, we have only to rejoice and to say, 
I have been long burdened with sins, and trembled at the debt I knew not how to pay. Now God himself has made my way clear. I will pardon this injury, this wrong, this outrage, with my whole heart for the love of Jesus Christ, and I am assured that all my sins will be remitted by God. I pardon as a Christian should, and have nothing more to fear from my eternal judge. But in order to say this, we must forgive wholly and sincerely, and reject for the future any idea or voluntary thought of revenge. Third, lead us not into temptation. Our life on earth is a combat, our reward is paradise, our weapons are prayer, vigilance, and the sacraments, our enemies are the devil, the world, and the flesh. We must fight with courage, and must never grow tired. Temptations meet us upon every side, and they must be treated as a besieging army trying to take a town by assault. Repulsed upon one side, it endeavors to scale the walls upon another. The besieged must be ever on their guard, and meet every attack with a constant resistance. The spiritual weapons with which we must engage in our spiritual warfare are vigilance over ourselves, flight from occasions of sin, frequent prayer, recollection of the presence of God, and especially confession and communion. Whoever uses these means is sure not to give way to temptation. Whoever neglects them is equally sure to succumb to it. Fourth, deliver us from evil. The greatest evil of all is sin, and eternal damnation, the punishment of sin. It is from this twofold evil that we ask deliverance every day. We may, indeed, ask to be delivered from sickness, from poverty, from other temporal evils, but as these afflictions are often just what we need the most, because of God's special designs in sending them, we must always add to our prayer for deliverance the words that Jesus Christ taught us himself when, in his agony in the garden, he prayed, Yet not my will, but thine be done. God knows what we need far better than we can know, and when he sends us troubles, it is in infinite mercy and goodness. Let us therefore ask our blessed Lord to deliver us from the terrible evil of hell and its eternal flames, from sin, from attachment to sin, and from all the vices which are its natural fruits. The word Amen, which is the ending of every Christian prayer, should be uttered with reverence and attention, since it expresses the ardent desire we have to be heard. Let us then meditate on all these beautiful words and strive earnestly to say the Lord's Prayer with greater recollection than hitherto. Fathers and mothers should teach their children to understand it and impress upon their minds that it must not be said as a vain repetition and only with the lips, but that they must lift their hearts to God in faith and love if they would have him hear and bless them when they say, Our Father. End of section 20